Hey there, I'm Adam Demetrician, the lead pastor at Pathways Church in Appleton, Wisconsin. And this is our podcast. I hope this message inspires you, feeds your faith, and ultimately leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. So uh, we're talking about paper walls and excuses are like paper walls. Paper walls from a distance look like real obstacles. From a distance, paper walls, an excuse looks like it's impenetrable. From a distance, an excuse, a paper wall, really doesn't give us a choice or we don't think we have a choice to stop doing what we've always done or we really don't have a choice to try something new or try again. From a distance, a paper wall, an excuse, it looks like an actual reason. Now, there's a reason. I have a reason that I can't throw a 99-mile-per-hour fastball, but I have no actual reason as to why I eat pizza at least once a week, if I'm honest, probably twice a week. I have no actual reason, except I love pizza, and I know it's not the healthiest choice, and yet I love to eat pizza. And I'm sure if you're like me, there's some things that you do, just like I do, that if we really pushed against those reasons, they're not reasons They're just excuses, right? Because we have those things that we dress up and we call them reasons, but they're really just excuses. And so in the real world, though, we call these excuses, we call them becauses. And all of us have a few becauses that we habitually hide behind. It goes something like this. Why don't you do that? Well, because. Why haven't you? Well, it'd be because, I mean, if I had more time, well, why did you quit? Well, because it was really hard. Or why didn't you stop? Well, because. Or, or what about this one? Why don't you just start? Well, because, like I just, right? And so we have becauses that serve as these paper walls. But then, then there are brick walls, And brick walls, brick walls, they block us. Brick walls are not like paper walls because brick walls, they stop us. Brick walls, when you hit a brick wall, they hurt us. A brick wall is a betrayal, something said about you. A brick wall is a racist comment, something said to you. It's a divorce, it's a felony, something that you did. It's a habit, something that you can't stop doing. A brick wall hurts because it's a destructive pattern. It's unlike a paper wall. And what we're going to discover over the next couple weeks is there's a fine line between a paper wall and a brick wall. And isn't it true? Because it's so easy to disguise and dress up and pass off an excuse as a paper wall, but even as a brick wall. But here's the good news. What we're going to learn through God's help and his grace and his power, we're going to learn how to bust through both kinds of walls. Amen? We're going to learn. Yeah, you can clap about that. We're going to learn how to bust through both kinds of walls. Now, today, what I want to do is I want to talk about a brick wall, okay? We're just going to get right after it. I can't wait to preach this message to you. I'm not running on a lot of sleep, but I really am excited because we're not going to talk about the paper walls. We'll we'll talk about paper walls next week. But this week, I want to focus on a brick wall. Everybody say brick walls. 
All right, so Exodus chapter two, if you have a Bible or a mobile device, if you have not down, you, downloaded version, make sure you download that mobile device. Somebody will, that mobile device, that mobile app on your mobile device, somebody will help you with that. You can get all the scriptures, all the notes. You can have so many versions of the Bible. I want you to have the Bible in your hands. Or if you want a paper copy of the Bible, make sure you bring your Bible to church as we dive into God's word together. Exodus chapter two, as you're making your way there, if you're a guest today, I wanna to welcome you. Exodus is in the Old Testament. It's the second book in the Old Testament. And uh, thanks for being a part. If you're a guest, first time here, first time in a long time, we're so thrilled that you're with us. We love Jesus. We're all about him. We wanna love you and lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. So thanks for making Pathways a part of your weekend. Also, to our online campus, wherever you're watching, if you're in Colorado or Ohio or Iowa or wherever you are, we're so thrilled that you're with us. You're part of our church family. And I don't know if you know this, but on a weekly basis, we almost have about 300 households recently that tune in live with us all over the country. And so we wanna continue, amen. We wanna continue to reach people. People are watching and you're sharing content and God is doing work. And so just because you're not in this room, whatever room you're in matters to God. That's a consecrated space. It's set apart for his work in your heart. Amen? All right, good. So, uh, oh, hey, last week uh, we had baptisms. I told you I'm not running on that much sleep. So, <laughs> um, uh, I went to visit my parents last week. And so my flights got delayed and I got in real late last night and I fell asleep about one o'clock. And then typically we're here at about 6.30, 6.30, and so I'm a little tired, but that's all right. So, um, where were the baptisms? Nine o'clock, or nine o'clock service, we used to have a nine o'clock service, 8.30 service. Anybody, okay, early service. Early service last week, we had baptisms. Anybody at the early service last week? You went to the, okay, a couple people went to, and now you're at the late service at the 10 o'clock. Well, since all of you come to the 10 o'clock, 8.30 service, we had one of our children, his name is Noah. In 22 years of doing ministry, I've never seen a baptism photo like this. I've never seen this. Look what happened. <laughs> Isn't that so cute? His feet were totally in the air. Okay, quick story. Quick story about our online campus. So Noah's family is hosting an exchange student. The exchange student came up to me after first service and said, hey, I wanna let you know that um, my mom was watching from Germany. Not Germantown, Germany, okay? And I was like, how cool. And her mom had taken pictures of uh, the screen that she was watching from. And she was so thrilled about this. She was speaking to me in broken English, uh, the daughter. And I thought, how cool is that, that we have friends in Germany. So to all my friends in Germany, kein Deutsch sprechen. I don't know if that even comes close. I practiced it all week on Google. And the rough translation is, I don't speak German. Okay. All right, good. <laughs> oh, I should sleep less on Saturday night. This is fun. Okay. Book of Exodus, the book of Exodus, uh, before we uh, look at Exodus chapter two, let me uh, lean in and give you some background, if you will. Okay. Uh, the book of Exodus is is all about God's people being delivered. Everybody say delivered. Every deliverance needs a deliverer. And behind every deliverance stands God. However, he uses you and me, those who are delivered, to be deliverers. 
And the deliverer, the person that God selected, don't yawn, please. I am so tired. If you start yawning, I'm going to start yawning. We're, we're going to have, it's going to go sideways. Sorry. I'll try not to put you to sleep with the background. Now, now every, every deliverer is called by God. And the deliverer that God called in the story of Exodus is Moses. But before we get to Moses, we have to ask this question. How did God's people, the Israelites, actually get to Egypt? That's a, a historical backstory that you need to understand to fully comprehend Old Testament history and see the, the narrative of our lives. So you have to go back to Genesis, a guy by the name of Joseph. Remember Joseph? He had brothers, brothers who disliked him. It was a dysfunctional family situation. You ever been in one of those? Yeah, me too. And so his dad, Joseph was the favorite, and his dad bought him an expensive coat. I don't know, what's an expensive jacket? Give me a brand. I don't know, Gucci, whatever it is, okay? And so the Bible says it was a coat of many colors. And his brothers were really envious of Joseph, and so they decided, well, they were going to kill them. They were going to kill him, and they were like, you know what? They came to their senses, they dropped them in a pit, and they sold them, uh, to Joseph, to the Midianites. And for 13 years, Joseph... Joseph's life is a train wreck. For 13 years, take your age that you're currently at right now and add 13 years to that, and then think back from today to 13 years later, being in an absolute hardship. That's what it was like for Joseph. Accused falsely of rape, dropped into prison, forgotten in prison when God used him to interpret dreams, and he was there, lonely, away from family, away from everything he knew. And for 13 years, he had nothing. And then in a sequence of events that were just so epic, God uses and takes Joseph out of the pit to the palace. And he becomes the number two only to Pharaoh in all of Egypt. And because of God's wisdom and the giftedness that, that, that God just deposited in the heart of Joseph, he interprets a dream through Joseph's wisdom he foresees this famine that's coming. He makes great preparations. And so he does such a good job that surrounding people, groups, and nations come. They flock to Egypt. Why? Because they want food. And it just so happens, guess who shows up at the doorstep of Joseph? His brothers. His brothers come for food. Now, they don't know who Joseph is because Joseph no longer looks like Joseph. He now looks like the number two in charge. He doesn't look like the boy that was dropped in the pit. Have you ever seen some people that you used to see a long time ago when they put you down and then you got a little high on the hog and all of a sudden you thought, uh-huh, well, that's where Joseph was. And yet Joseph, he gave favor to his brothers, not only because he gave them food, but Joseph gave them something more important. He gave them forgiveness. And if you're struggling with forgiveness, I would encourage you, read Genesis chapter 37 through 50. You're going to find the story of Joseph and how God used Joseph so that he could see the face of God and his brothers who betrayed him. Powerful story. Well, when we look at Exodus chapter 1, the opening verses tell us that there was a great family reunion. And so all of Joseph's extended family, all the brothers, their wives, the kids, numbering 70, came to Egypt. So there's a great moment in which the people group, the Israelites, started to come to Egypt through Joseph's family and the brothers. Those brothers then became the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, fast forward 60 years. The Bible says 60 years later, the Pharaoh who knew Joseph and the plan for the famine, that Pharaoh had died. 
And Bible says that Joseph was once again forgotten by the new Pharaoh. To complicate matters, the new Pharaoh saw that the Israelites were multiplying in number. You can read that in Exodus chapter one. And so he thought to himself, man, they're gonna threaten. They're gonna overthrow Egypt because there's so many Israelites. And so you know what he chose to do? He enslaved them. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the day in which the Pharaoh said, we're gonna enslave all of you and you're gonna start working for us. That's exactly what took place in Exodus chapter one. Now we just gloss over that, but there's some major things that are taking place. And not only did he enslave the the people of God, the Israelites, but he wanted to control the population. But he wanted to control the population through extermination. And so he solicited the support of the Hebrew midwives and he said, whenever a baby is born, if it's a boy, I want it to get a little complicated and I want you to kill the baby. To which the midwives of the Hebrews said, no. No, we're not gonna do that. We can't do that. How could we do that? So, a bit more of an aggressive approach, a public policy was issued by Pharaoh. And we read these words in Exodus chapter 1, verse 22. Here's what Pharaoh, the edict that came down. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Let me pause there for a second. Can you imagine if you're newly married or if you're having, you're trying to have kids right now, can you imagine right now you're trying to have your first child or maybe your second child. Can you imagine if the president of the United States declared a new public policy, issued an executive order that if your child that was born was a boy was to be thrown in a local river and killed? Can you imagine how much that would impact your family planning? Can you imagine how much that would impact our entire world, our nation? Can you imagine how it would impact hospitals and doctors and nurses? How would it impact Valentine's Day? <laughs> Valentine's Day might end a little differently if you knew if you had a boy it was gonna die, right? Just saying. How, how would it impact I mean, it would impact church services. Next week we're gonna have a child dedication. If that edict was, if it stood today then the only kids that would be getting dedicated next week would be girls. So we come to chapter two of Exodus. In Exodus chapter two, we learn of the birth story of Moses. Moses' parents already had two children. Not during the time of that, of that edict. Uh, they had Miriam, his older sister, and then they had Aaron. Therefore, the birth of, of Moses, let's just say, was a little bit more complicated. When the mother gave birth to Moses, she made a decision that she was gonna hide him for three months. And then as he got older and started squirmy and warmy and crying louder, and it just was more difficult to keep it under wraps, little Moses was placed in a basket. You remember the story, he took some of the, the pitch and some of the mud from the Nile and made a basket and put Moses in there. And then by a, a divine preservation, by a sequence of events, the Pharaoh's daughter, the most powerful person in the most powerful nation found Little Moses on the banks of the Nile. Pharaoh's daughter was bathing and her attendants were there at the Nile. Why? Because crocodiles are in the Nile. So commentators tell us that the attendants were there just making sure that no crocodiles would chew up and kill the Pharaoh's daughter. And obviously didn't get a hold of alligator bait with Moses and Moses was preserved and then Moses was drawn out, picked out of the water by Pharaoh's daughter. The name Moses means the one 
who is drawn out, the one who is rescued, the one who is delivered. The delivered will become a deliverer. So we come to our story for today. And at this time, Moses, according to scripture in Acts chapter seven, Luke, the writer under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit tells us that Moses is now 40 years old. Everybody say 40. Lordy, Lordy, look who's 40. (laughs) Moses, okay? He got that little birth card or that little birthday card. He's 40, okay? He's 40 years old. And this is what takes place. Exodus chapter two, beginning in verse 11. One day, after Moses had grown up, he's 40, he went out to where his own people were and he watched them as they were hard at labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and he hid him in the sand. The next day, he went out and he saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow, Israel, uh, your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and he thought, what? What I did must have been known. Verse 15, when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and he went to live in Midian where he sat down by a well. Let's stop there for a moment. What takes place? Well, Moses hits a brick wall. He runs into a brick wall, a brick wall that he created. What did Moses do? He killed an Egyptian slave master. Why did he kill an Egyptian slave master? Because the Egyptian slave master was beating one of his own people, an Israelite. Now, here's the question. How did Moses know that he was an Israelite? Scripture doesn't tell us. We don't know. All we know is that one day he discovered that he was no longer of an Egyptian. He wasn't the Pharaoh's son, the grandson, uh, the, the Pharaoh's daughter. He was not the son of Pharaoh's daughter, the grandson of Pharaoh. He discovered that. And it says that he identified with his own people. Now, the question is, why? Why would he even do that? Not to sound inhumane, but let's be, let's be human about this. Let's, let's really think this through. Here, Moses was rescued out of the Nile. He was raised in the palace. He had the finest of the finest. He had all the delicacies. He learned the culture, the language, the customs. He was raised as the son of the, of the Pharaoh's daughter. All the privileges were extended to him. Why would he exchange all of that in order to identify with slave people who were making the very palaces that he would live in. Why would he do that? Well, we don't know. But we do have a clue as to who created that inside of him, that desire, that character formation, that basis for him to become a one-day deliverer, and that was God. We read these words in Hebrews chapter 11. You can look at it. I believe it's verses 24 and 25. It says this, by faith, By faith, Moses chose not to identify himself as the son of the Pharaoh's daughter, but rather to identify and to resist the sinful pleasures of Egypt and identify with his people. This is a brief commentary of the character of who Moses is. 
See, he has this faith stirring in his heart. God shows him he has a equitable, a just heart to know that one day what is right is right and what is wrong is wrong. And I can no longer identify with what is wrong. If I know who I am, I am an Israelite. I will come and I will defend and I will one day deliver my people. But he wasn't quite ready for that. Not that day anyways. Not the day he built himself a brick wall. You know why? Because after he killed the Egyptian, he looked this way and that way. And then he hit him in the sand and uh, <laughs> he, he buried him. And he came out the next day. And you know why he wasn't ready to be a deliverer? Because his people weren't ready to be delivered. <laughs> they said, hey, are you the judge over us? He saw a little fight in the hallway. He's like, hey, come on, boys. What are we doing? And they were like, who are you? Are you the judge over us? And so what did he do? He ran off to Midian. He ran off to Midian. He goes and he sits by a well. So let's pick up our story here in verse 16. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters. Do you know what daughters of priests are known as? PKs. They're pastor's daughters. He had seven of them, okay? And uh, Moses came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flocks. They came, the daughters did. Some of the shepherds came along and drove them away, drove all the daughters away. But Moses, what did he do? He got up and he came to the rescue, notice, and he watered their flock. When the girls returned to rule their father, he asked them, why have you returned so early today? And they answered, well, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? asked his daughters, being a wise father, thinking, how am I going to get these daughters off the payroll? Let me get the dowry. It's bingo time. We got one. I got him. Where is this fine laddie boy? So why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Well, Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son and Moses named him Grisham, saying, I have become, this is so sad, listen to this commentary, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. Do you hear it? Moses doesn't really know who he is. He hit a brick wall. He's not an Egyptian. He's not welcomed by his Hebrew countrymen. He ran off to Midian. He met a woman. He got married. They had a baby. And he named his baby what he feels in his heart. I'm a foreigner in a foreign land. Now, how long he stayed in that land for? 40 years. 40 years. The last three verses of this story for today, very significant for two reasons. Let me read these three verses and then we'll pull out the two pieces of critical information. Verse 23, during that long period, those 40 years, the king of Egypt died. His grandfather died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out and their cry for help. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked down on the Israelites and he was concerned about them. When we read these final three verses, we discover that there was a time period 
There was a time span of 40 years, the Bible tells us, that Moses was in Midian, and during that time, his grandfather had died. It indicates that there is some kind of temporary relief for his fellow Hebrews, the Israelites, the, the one-day nation, the God's people. And yet, Moses, the one that God will eventually choose to be the deliverer, is stuck in Midian, dealing with the feeling of being a foreigner and thinking about his brick wall. What's he thinking? Will the Pharaoh come for me? Will he find out? How many years is he looking over his shoulder? How many years is he thinking, man, are they gonna find out? They're gonna know it's me. I know that Hebrew is gonna rat on me and then I'm done. They're gonna drag me back, kill me, make me an example. What about my son? What's gonna happen then? For 40 years, he's in Midian. Doesn't know who he is. He's trying to live out what he feels inside of him, this faith that he has, and yet he's conflicted. Feels threatened. He feels obligated to Raul to take care of, 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 of Zipporah, his young son. Yet he might never even know his birth mother. Scripture doesn't tell us. Can you imagine what it was like for Moses in his 40s, in his 50s, in his 60s, in his 70s, what he was dealing with? But God was at work, friends. God is always at work in our lives. He's always at work in our lives. He's always aligning not only the circumstances of your life, but he's preparing and aligning the circumstances of other people's lives that you are called to come into contact with and have relationship with and minister to and be ministered to by individuals in their lives and in your lives. He's always at work. He was doing something. He was preparing something. God had a plan. God always has a plan. The second critical piece of information from these three verses is simply this, that God always hears our cries. He heard the groan of his people. It went up to God. Now you might ask the question, well, Adam, why did it take so long? And you know what? I wish I knew that answer. I wish I would know why it takes God sometimes so long to really reach out and do and be attentive and active and to come in. I don't know, but here's what I do know. I know that God's plan never fails. I know that God's plan is always better than my timetable. I know that God's plan always exceeds my expectation. And I know that God's plan redeems all of my mess and all of the brick walls that are created for me or by me or whatever has happened in my life. This is what I know. Now, what I wanna do with the time that remains, I wanna just draw out three observations about brick walls and how they apply to you and me. The first is this. We usually don't want others to know about a brick wall, do we? What did Moses do when he killed the Egyptian slave master? He hid his body, he buried him in the sand. Let me ask you, what have you buried? What have you hid in the sand? What is it that no one else knows? That's your brick wall. See, the thing about brick walls is we don't want people to know our business. When it comes to paper walls, paper walls were a lot more vocal. 
I can't because. Well, it's the way my mom raised me, it's because. Well, because, you know, I came from, so. it's because I never got a college degree. It's because we're vocal about our paper walls, but when it comes to our brick walls, we hide those bad boys. We don't want anybody to see them, do we? And isn't it crazy that it's so easy to see the excuses in other people's life, but we struggle to see our own that are only six inches from our face? <laughs> your kids make an excuse, you think to yourself, Hey, why didn't you get your home? I, you know, I was just, blah, 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 blah. Wouldn't it be so refreshing if they said, well, my excuse is because. <laughs> just live in reality. See, we hide these walls because these walls, because we really don't know what to do about them. We don't know how to bust through them. We're helpless. We're scared, we run, we medicate, we work. These walls, they block us, they hurt us, they stop us. But I like the second observation about Moses' life and about his brick wall, that even when you're running from your past, even when you're running from your past, your brick wall, God is preparing you for his future. And think about it this way. Notice in the text, let me ask you a little trivia question. How many times God was preparing Moses for his future? How many times in the story that I just read to you, how many times did he try to rescue somebody? How many times? Talk to me. Anybody? Pastor Michael, buy you lunch. Tell me. (laughs) Three. Three. Three times. First time, there was an Egyptian slave master who was beating who? One of his fellow Israelites, right? Next day, he tried to rescue who? Two of the Israelites. When he fled, he rescued how many daughters? So even though he built a brick wall, God was forming that gift and that passion and that desire to be a deliverer, to be a rescuer. Even think about this. This is so great. Where did he go when he ran? Midian. Midian was the very same wilderness that in years later he was going to lead not animals. He wasn't going to shepherd sheep. He was going to shepherd God's people in Midian. Ooh, ooh, wow is right. God was preparing Moses for that future, not to just lead one Israelite or two Israelites, but two million people in a wilderness and a terrain that he was familiar with. God wastes nothing in your life. God wastes nothing. Your successes, your failures, all your brick walls, God uses them. He can redeem them and he will prepare them for his future in your life. All right, I better set these down. I'm losing my breath. I didn't do that for a service. That must be that coffee and Red Bull. But we need to hear this, friends. You know why? Because most of us, including me, I don't live on this side of the brick wall. I live on this side of the brick wall. And I wish I could tell you as your pastor that I had more faith than that. But I'm frail. And I know this side of the brick wall, but God wants to teach us this side of the brick wall because he wants us to get ready when he busts through it. Amen? 
All right, so here's the third application point. Your brick wall, I love this point, is not the end of your story. Maybe this week you received something, you heard something, you saw something in your life, and you thought, man, there it is, I'm done, I can't do it. No more. And I'm here to tell you, there is more. That wasn't the end of your story. Yeah, but if you knew my brick wall, if you knew what I'm dealt with, if you knew who I was parenting, if you knew all the feelings I had as a, as a 15-year-old, you would know I can't go. There's no way. I'm so depressed. It's so, right now I'm hanging by a thread. It's not the end of your story. The brick wall is not the end of your story. Your depression, your struggle, your battle, your anger, it's not the end of your story. That's why we need people, we need community, we need people who have busted through some brick walls that we can talk to about the faithfulness of God in their life. That's why we get into community, we listen to testimonies and stories because we know that our God is faithful and even when we're faithless, we can draw on the faith of other people and we can say, yes, if he did it for them, then he can surely do it for me, right? And it builds us up and it strengthens us. And it gives us the courage to continue on. So where are we in week one? Here's where we are. Right now in week one, as we wrap up, Moses hit a brick wall. He's a murderer. First degree, premeditated. He ran, he married, went off to Midian, set up shop there. He resigned himself. (laughs) I know this is a weird connection, but I promise you this is what I wrote my notes this week. You know who I thought of when I thought about um, finishing up week one of this message series? I thought of a country singer. Um, As I was writing this out, I thought Moses had just, he had forfeited everything in the palace and he ran off to Midian and I thought of Alan Jackson. I thought of the line from his old country music song that says this, um, it's all right to be little bitty, little bitty plan, a little bitty dream. It's all part of a little bitty scheme. Anybody have that tune going in their head right now? (laughs) You're looking at me like, nope, go listen to it. It's a great song. It has a great, it has a great little uh, sentiment to it. But I'm not sure if that song represents a life of faith. Because God didn't have a little bitty scheme, a little bitty plan for Moses' life. He had a big plan just like he has a big plan for your life. I don't care if you're 40. I don't care if you're 50. I don't care if you're surrounded by brick walls. He's got a plan. He'll bust through them. He sees it. He knows it. Have faith in him. So with that, I want you to come back next week and I want you to see what God does in Moses' life. At the age of 80, I always tell people in their 70s, they'll come up to me, well, you know, Pastor Adam, I've kind of, you know, hey. I say, hey, Moses didn't start his ministry until he was 80. They kind of look at me. I'm like, so you're just getting warmed up. (laughs) It's go time. Everything we know about Moses happened when he was 80 plus years old. All we know is when he was dropped into the basket and when he killed the Egyptian slave master, everything else, he's 80 plus years old. Think on that for a second. Let that shape your retirement plan. (laughs) Let that give you a little hope.
Some of you right now are like, oh my word, I never even knew that. From 80 to 120 is everything we know about Moses. That's what we celebrate. So what can he do in your life? Bow with me for a word of closing prayer. Heavenly Father, you know, you see, you understand all of us in this moment. And I believe by the power of your Holy Spirit, you're here. I believe, Jesus, that you're walking these rows as we prayed over seats today, as we prayed for online campus, as our worship team was praying early this morning over this place to set it apart for your spirit to do your work even right now. As you've been ministering through your word, as you've been speaking through songs, through fellowship, as people have turned onto this campus, God, you're preparing hearts for a time to come close to you now. And so this is what we do. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking about your brick wall. You're thinking about what you hid in the sand, what you've buried. I want you just to acknowledge that in the presence of God. He already knows anyways, and I know you know that. But it's good for you to know that he knows and that you know he knows and that you tell him that you know. So just let him know. Here's my brick wall. I don't know what to do about it. I've tried everything to bust through it. It's hidden, I've buried it. But I'm gonna bring it, bring it to you. Maybe this, uh, this week, you know what you need to do in your chair time? You need, to, you need to uncover your wall. You need to dig it out. You need to go back to it. And say, God, here's my brick wall. Sorry, here it is. You know what else you need to do this week in your personal quiet time and your chair time as you're reading and praying and thinking about your brick wall? I want you to start living on the other side of the wall. <laughs> I want you to start giving as much time that you give to the guilt and remorse and shame and regret of the brick wall even being there. I want you to give at least a quarter of that time to the other side of the brick wall when God busts through that wall. What's that gonna be like? Ooh. That's awesome. That's power. That's faith. Think through that. Think about it for your daughter. Think about it for your marriage. Think about it for your business. Think about it for, for someone else. What's it gonna be like? Live on the other side of the wall, do that. Maybe you're here today though, and the wall that you know is the biggest wall that you're contending with right now is the wall of separation. It's the wall of sin. And the only way you're gonna bust through that, my friend, is through the power of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. You can't take care of your own sin. You can't change you. If you could, you would have already done it. And it's not by accident that you're here today. Somebody invited you, you're watching online, you stumbled across this on YouTube. God's speaking to you. He loves you. He wants relationship with you. You know how you begin a relationship with Jesus Christ? You repent. You say, I'm sorry. Forgive me of my sin. I can't do it. You're my savior. I believe in you. I trust in you. So if you're online today, you want to make that decision, you tell somebody around you right now. Call the church. Email the church. Reach out. Email me. Tell somebody in the living room that you're watching. Tell a friend. Tell your mom. Reach out. If you're in the room today, though, on the count of three, if you wanna make that decision for Jesus Christ, I want you to raise your hand high, quickly, and I wanna acknowledge you. One, two, three. Yes, 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 yes. 
to my right, your left. Anybody? Yes, I think all the way in the back. I don't know. Maybe not. I can't see. Okay. Let's pray together. Let's pray out loud together. Let's pray as the adopted sons and daughters of God. We have full confidence to come into his family in this throne room. Let's pray together. Father, I love you because you first loved me. You brought Jesus to die for our entire world, which includes me. Thank you. Now forgive me. I repent of my sin. I'm sorry. I was wrong. I confess it. And I ask that you would take it away because of the price that you paid on the cross. It's your blood that changes me, that heals me, that removes my sin. So I place my faith in you, Jesus, as a leader and the lover of my soul. I accept you by faith in your name. And everyone who agreed with this prayer, shout it. Amen. Hey, can we celebrate some individuals today who made that decision to follow Jesus Christ? Isn't that glorious? We have new brothers and sisters.